Jesus said. Amen. Amen. Uh, Archimedes is perhaps considered to be the greatest scientist of the ancient world. You might have heard his name. He was a mathematician, physicist, engineer, astronomer, and inventor who lived in Syracuse in Sicily about 300 years before the Apostle Paul arrived there where he stayed for three days while he was in transit to Rome. Now, Archimedes is credited with proving uh, geometrical theorems like the area of a circle, the volume of a sphere. He made some of the earliest calculations of the approximation of pi. He um, anticipated modern calculus. He invented the law of buoyancy, which we literally call the Archimedes principle, um, and is credited with inventions like the screw pump that we still use in irrigation today, um, compound pulleys, the odometer, and these legendary war machines like the Archimedes claw, which supposedly was a crane that they use in Syracuse to lift boats out of the water and throw them against the rocks, or the heat ray that he used mirrors to focus sunlight to light ships on fire as he defended his city. Well, one of his most famous experiments, maybe the thing he's most known for, had to do with exploring the limits of the principle of leverage, okay, and, and helped sailors lift these objects that up to this point in time had really been immovable. They were too heavy to move. And after demonstrating a seemingly miraculous ability to lift just about anything, given the right amount of leverage, Archimedes is quoted as saying, give me a lever and a place to stand, and I will move the earth. I will move the earth. Well, friends, as we finish off our spirit-filled series in the book of Acts this morning, what I want to suggest to you is that God gave the Apostle Paul the most powerful lever the world has ever known in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he placed him in the center of the known world at the time, Rome, right? All roads led to Rome. And he placed, he placed Paul there, and, and Paul then used that lever and that place to move the earth, to change the world. And you might be saying, well, how did he do it? Well, I mean, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, why don't you open up to the book of Acts, chapter 28. We're going to be in verses 11 through 31 this morning, finishing off the book. Um, this may, may sound strange to you, but the first thing Paul did when, when, when receiving this gospel and then again being taken to Rome was he really had to just simply let go. He had to let go, all right? And, and just like the song we sang, Paul surrendered all to Jesus. He surrendered his hopes and dreams as a young Pharisee. He surrendered his power and position and influence as a future leader in first century Israel. He gave up safety and securities. He traveled around the Roman Empire. He even gave up the possibility of getting married and having a family, which, of course, is a huge deal in our day and age. It was an even bigger deal back in, in those days. He relinquished all that the world holds dear in order to give his life in service to Christ and his great commission. Now, as hard as those things were for Paul to give up, and they were very difficult, perhaps the hardest thing he had to let go of was his own ego. Just like us, right? Just like any of us. Surrendering our pride, surrendering our honor, surrendering our selfishness. These are very difficult things. In fact, the hardest battle we have to fight is with ourselves, all right? I talk to my kids about that all the time. Like, that's the hardest battle we have to fight. And Paul, Paul succeeded in letting that ego go where so many fail. Look at, look at the end of Acts 28, verses 30 and 31 with me. Last two verses of the book. It says this. It says that Paul lived there in Rome under under house arrest, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Now you think about, again, if you've been with us, you know all the things that Paul has gone through as he sought to serve Christ over, the, over all these years, right? All that we've learned over the last several months about, you know, as we studied this book, about the shipwrecks and about the pain and the suffering. Paul has been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been left for dead, he's been harassed by enemies both inside and outside the church. He's had to manage all kinds of conflict, he's had to confront all kinds of sin. He's been drugged before the rulers and the authorities of his day and of his age and put on trial for his faith many, many times. People make all kinds of false accusations against him. They try to destroy his reputation. They try to seek his, his execution. And now here he is towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry career, and he is in Rome under house arrest, which means that he was chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Right? Now those soldiers would rotate every four hours, but he would be chained to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to top it all off, he has to pay for it all. Caesar literally sends him the bill. How'd you like that as a deal? Right? I mean, you got to be kidding me. And yet that's how it worked back in those days. And as an aside, don't let anyone ever tell you ever, ever again that God won't give you more than you can handle. Paul would beg to differ. He would. I mean, he, gosh, this guy went through so much, right? He came to the end of himself over and over again. But yet he willingly and joyfully sacrificed it all for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, come on now. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Surpassing worth of knowing. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> anyway, it, I love how he describes it in his own words to his protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, which, oh, by the way, he probably wrote these words while he was under house arrest. There's a good chance that's where these words came from, was while he was during this season in prison. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul was utterly convinced, friends, that Jesus was worth it all. Worth all the blood, sweat, and tears. Worth all the pain and the suffering and the hardship. Worth every effort. Worth every penny. He expressed zero regrets at the end of his life. And let me tell you, I've sat with enough people at the end of their lives. That's a good place to be. Where you have zero regrets when you look back. Amen? Yeah, and, and the only way you get there, friends, is by serving Jesus, just like Paul served Jesus, right? And Paul had his eyes fixed on a goal that was beyond the horizons of this world. He knew there was a crown of righteousness waiting for him, that the Lord was going to reward him when he passed from this life to the next, and so he had no fear. There was nothing this world could do to him, right? Not, nothing he had to be afraid of, and until that great day comes, Paul's like, I'm going to dedicate my life, I'm going to do all I can to spread the good news of the gospel. All right, so again, while he's here in prison, under house arrest, he probably wrote the book of Philippians, the book of Philemon, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and yes, 2 Timothy, right? Or maybe it happened a couple years later. Many scholars, including myself, believe that at the end of the book of Acts, that Paul was probably released from prison. He probably went before Caesar and was exonerated on all charges. Many, many references in early church history suggest that that's exactly what took place. And then Paul continued to do his missionary journeys, probably got 
all the way to Spain. This was around 60 AD here at the end of Acts. But in 64 AD, just a few years later, things changed dramatically in the Roman Empire. The city of Rome burned to the ground. The emperor Nero, who was going insane by this time, blamed the Christians, and he started systematically rounding them up. He captured Peter and Paul in that kind of roundup, and he begins to persecute them. He actually puts Peter and Paul to death. He crucifies Peter upside down on a cross, and he beheads Paul as a Roman citizen. Right? But again, none of this mattered to Paul because Paul had already died years before. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. And, and the, 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 that Jesus lives inside me and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God so there's nothing this world can do to me, right? That's how Paul lived. That's Paul, Paul understood life. He lived by faith in the Son of God and because of that, he was not only able to surrender his ego, his pride, his selfishness, he was also able to surrender his expectations, Surrender whatever outcomes he might expect out of this life. So you look at Acts 28, verses 23 through 28. All right, Paul, again, is under house arrest. He's in prison, but all the local believers in Rome are coming to hear him preach, okay? He's got this freedom to be able to preach. And so when the local believers had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. And others disbelieved, right? That was kind of the standard thing that happened to Paul. And after disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. He said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Why? Because they will listen. Because they will listen. You see, Paul never based the success or failure of his ministry on the numbers. He didn't get hung up on how many people responded positively to his message. He knows his calling is to preach a message that many Jews and Gentiles will reject. He knows he has been called to a ministry that many Jews and Gentiles will despise. He knows the churches that he's planted are full of messy, broken people. They are being torn apart by divisions and struggling with all kinds of sin, under attack by all kinds of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, not to mention all kinds of persecution here on earth. And like the Old Testament prophet Isaiah before him, Paul knows he is called to preach to a people who are largely deaf and blind to the ministry and the message of the gospel, and still he goes. Still he preaches. Day and night, from morning to evening, never relenting, never stopping, doing his best to convince them of the truth of that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, anyone who is engaged in similar work knows how this feels. Like, I think actually most Christians know how this feels because we have... There are people in our lives that we have been praying for for years, right? And they don't seem to change their ways. They don't seem to respond to the message of the gospel. There are people in our lives that we have shared Jesus with over and over and over again only to watch them turn away. There are people in our lives that we have all friends and families. We have begged, come to church with us. Come and give Jesus a chance only to have them reject us. And I, I, again, I think just about every Christian I know has had that experience. They know what it feels like. And so they can identify with what Paul is sharing here. But again, 
as we said a couple of weeks ago, converting others is not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, friends. And, and he regenerates hearts in the way that he does according to his time and according to his way. And our job is simply to share our story. Our job is simply to share our testimony, to, to show people how the risen Christ has impacted our lives. And when we let go of our ego and when we let go of our expectations and our pride and all of those things and, and let go of the many other things in this world that gain a foothold in our hearts, we then are ready to be filled. We're ready to be filled. And the first sign that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit is that you receive power to be His witness. Power to be his witness. Acts 1-8, back where this journey began, right? All those months ago. Acts 1-8 says, this is the risen Christ speaking. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, one of the most common mistakes I hear Christians make when they ask for the Holy Spirit to fill them is they want the Holy Spirit for their own benefit. All right? They ask the Holy Spirit to fill them so they can accomplish their plans, their dreams, their visions for their life. They want the Holy Spirit to fill them on their terms, and then they're disappointed when it doesn't happen. And if that describes you this morning, all I can say to you is that you have yet to do the hard work of emptying yourself of ego and expectations. All right? The Holy Spirit's not a tool for you to use to make your life better. The Holy Spirit's not a force to be manipulated to your own ends. The Holy Spirit doesn't exist to help you achieve your ambitions or serve your agenda for your life. No, He regenerates our hearts, friends, so that we might join Him on His mission to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. Amen? Yeah, that's what we're being called into, friends. That's why the Holy Spirit is being given to us, is to make us witnesses in Parker and Denver and Colorado and the U.S. and to the ends of the earth. That's what God is calling us to do. And all along the way, as we stay in step with the Spirit, as we allow Him to use us in this way, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He makes us more and more like Jesus. This, friends, is how the Christian life works. There is no other way. There is no other path, okay? You can't have the Holy Spirit on your terms. You have to open yourself up and receive the Holy Spirit on His terms. Amen? Right. Come on now. Amen? Right? Come on. You got to track with me here, all right? Or, or maybe we're just being honest and only about a third of the room really wants the Holy Spirit. I don't know, right? But I mean, th this is what we're talking about. This is honestly what it is all about, friends. And so again, the first sign you've been spilled with the Holy Spirit is that you receive power. The power to do what? The power to be a witness. Second sign that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit is you begin to bear His fruit in your life. Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law for these things. Why? Because it doesn't come about by human effort. It doesn't come about by human action. We don't white-knuckle our faith. We don't work hard to achieve these things. No, they are the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer He fills. They are the result of greater surrender and greater relinquishment to the Spirit's will and way. They come as we empty ourselves of the sinful works of the flesh. 
things like pride and ego and envy and anger and idolatry and division and sexual sin of all kinds and drunkenness, you name it. As we let those things go, let go of the things of this world, the Spirit fills us and He begins to bear His kingdom fruit in our lives. And so the result of that is that we begin to experience greater and greater levels of love, joy, peace, patience in our lives. We become a more kind and gentle people. We not only become good ourselves, but we actually begin to see the good in those around us. We are faithful and self-disciplined in how we approach all of life and all of our relationships, right? And if we seek to be filled with the Spirit, we should expect these qualities to be growing in abundance in our lives. That's a healthy honest expectation for any Christian. And if for some reason they are not present or that growth has stagnated or been choked off, it is a sure sign that we have filled ourselves with something other than the Holy Spirit that's only going to lead us to heartbreak and pain. And sadly, I have watched as far too many Christians I know settle. Far too many Christians I know exchange a life filled with the Spirit for a life filled with sin. And let me tell you, it never ends well because God doesn't bless sin. Period. End of story. All right? And you've got to honestly think about that. And you honestly have to look at your life and ask yourself, what is it that I am holding on to that God is calling me to let go? Because that's the very thing that is keeping you from living the life that is full of the Spirit full of all the things that you want out of this life. The thing, it's the thing that you're holding on to that is getting in the way, friends. And you have got to relinquish it and let it go. And do not believe the lie that somehow God is going to overlook it or that God is going to give you a pass. God does not bless sin. Here's a third sign you've been filled with the Spirit. You not only begin to have power to be his witness and not only begin to bear his fruit in your, in his, in your life, but you begin to exercise his gifts. His gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. Friends, every Christian is given a spiritual gift by virtue of the fact that they have the Holy Spirit living inside them. But exercising those gifts to their fullest extent can only come as, again, we empty ourselves of our need to show off, our need to be praised, our need to be affirmed for our giftedness, and we let the Spirit so fill us that we might focus instead on, rather than on ourselves, and instead we might focus on contributing to the common good, on contributing to the lives of those around us. Every gift is given not to build us up, but to build up those around us. Every gift is given not to make our life better, or easier or to draw attention to ourselves or give us a cool video to throw on TikTok or Instagram. No, it's given to us in order to grow the kingdom of God, to contribute to a, 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 the life of a local body of believers that we call the church. And so Pepsi, one of the ways that we will know that God has filled us as a community with His Holy Spirit is when every single person who calls Pepsi home, whether they're present here physically or you're watching online, right? Everybody is contributing in some way to the life of our church family. Every single believer here exercising their gifts in order to bless others. Every single person, young or old, doesn't 
doesn't matter the background or the culture or the life experience you bring to the table. Everybody finds a way to serve for the reasons, uh, for the reasons behind. That, that, that's, that's why everything is happening in our church. That's why anything happens in our churches. Everybody finds a way to serve, to use the unique gifts that they have been given to bless others. In fact, when, when a lot of my friends across the country ask me, man, you have so much going on in your church and there's so many really good things, why is all that happening? I tell them, it's because, right? So many people, so many people here at Pepsi are just give so generously and sacrificially of their time and their talent and treasure to, to bless our church family and to bless the wider Parker community. And honestly, I'd love to see that percentage grow. Now, I'd love, to, I'd love for us to get to a place again where everybody knows their gifts and, and is bringing them to the table to help Pepsi become all as God has called her to be. That's a surefire way we will know that the Holy Spirit has really begun to fill us. Amen? All right, we'll see this happen. We'll see awesome things break loose, all kinds of miracles, all kinds of amazing things. And so, so let's dream a little bit as we close this series, all right? Let's, let's, let's think about this. Like, what could that look like, right? What would happen if we as a church committed to emptying ourselves of ego and pride and expectations and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us? Imagine what God could do with a church like Pepsi. Look at what he's already doing, right? Like the Apostle Paul, he's given us the most powerful lever the world has ever known in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has planted us in one of the wealthiest and most influential counties in the world, and we've been given access to an abundance of resources and opportunities. We're blessed with strong, godly men and women who, who have unbelievable leadership capacity. And if you look at our history as a church, you can see God's mission literally written into our DNA. Surely we too, having been filled then with the Holy Spirit, can move the earth and change the world. Amen? Not, not because we're great, because the Holy Spirit is great and He is doing great things in and through us, right? Trust me when I tell you that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that is impossible for you because nothing is impossible for God, amen? Yeah, that, that's what it's about, right? Allowing the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the one who is present at creation to do His work in and through you to impact those around you. You see, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to choose between serving in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, the ends of the earth. We can do it all. We can take the gospel to all of those places, friends. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can conquer kingdoms and enforce justice and obtain promises and stop the mouths of lions and quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. We will be made strong out of weakness, the Bible says, becoming mighty in spiritual warfare. Put the enemy to flight. We'll receive back our dead by resurrection. We'll endure torture and persecution, trusting that in Christ... We will rise again to eternal life. We may suffer mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. We may wander about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated in deserts and mountains, in the dens and caves of the earth. This is what so many of the saints who have gone before us have experienced when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did God declare over them? He said the world was not worthy of them. And don't you want God to declare that over you? Don't you want God to declare that over us as a church? 
my goodness, at the end of the day, friends, I want to live such a spirit-filled life that while the world may mock and mistreat me or I suffer chains or imprisonment or I give all that I have and I end up wandering around Parker destitute and afflicted, God would look down and he would declare, you know what, Doug just doesn't fit this world. It just doesn't fit, right? And I want the same for us as a church. And why do you think I talk so much about having a church that only Jesus is strong enough to hold together? It's because I want people to look at Pepsi and what God is doing here, bringing us together across age and culture and ethnicity and language and background and life experience and and bringing us all together and saying, only God could do that. There's no other human explanation for that. There's no other way that that happens. I want them to be baffled when they look at our life together. I want them to to look at us and say, I have no idea how that happens except for the Holy Spirit. That will be a sure and certain sign that we are no longer playing the world's game. We're no longer playing by the world's rules or operating by the world's standards. It'll be a strong and sure sign that we're being filled with the Holy Spirit when how we live and and, and what we do presents a stumbling block to religious people and appears utterly insane to non-religious people. And I am here for all of it. And I hope you are as well. Because that's what it's about, friends. That's what it's about. Someone asked me a couple, you know, after the first service, they were said, Doug, you told us a couple weeks ago not to be weird. That sounds pretty weird. I said, well, at least you're listening, all right? I like that, all right? So if you're going to be weird, be weird for Jesus. Amen? Yeah, that's what it's about. And this is what marked the church of the first century, friends, and it's why they were able eventually to convert an entire empire. And I wanted to mark the church of the 21st century as well. And, and I'm not, I don't have influence on any other churches except our own, so it, I want it to start here. I want it to mark us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and as they do, um, when you stop to think about it, you know, the book of Acts really doesn't have an end point. It doesn't have like a the end at the end, so to speak, right? And do you know why that is? It's because there's a 29th chapter that is being written, all right, even as we speak. And that 29th chapter, friends, is the church. It's the church over the last 2,000 years and every time and place. And it now includes us. And we get now to be a part of the unfolding work of the kingdom of God in the world. We get to be part of God's great mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We get to be part of, of what God is doing to spread the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to the least reached and least resourced wherever they may be found. And if that vision excites you, and I hope that it does, then you are in the right place in the Spirit is already at work in your heart, giving you a passion for the things that he is passionate about. But if that vision concerns you, right, or you're not sure about that, I want to challenge you then to pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you his heart. I want you to ask him to show you those areas of your life where you're still holding on to tight to the things of this world. you got to empty yourself, friends, and surrender to him. And the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't turn away a single sinner who authentically seeks after him. Amen? That, that's the good news, right? And like the Apostle Paul, you've got to build on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. You've got to put your trust in him alone. Jesus is the name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so we might as well get started. We might as well get started. Jesus is the only one who can save. So let go of your ego, friends. Let go of your pride, let go of your expectations, let go of yourself, and let the Holy Spirit fill you with his power.
and his love for the world. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, your Holy Spirit is alive and is moving among us, God, and he fills us with everything we need for life in this world, God. Perhaps most importantly, he fixes our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He sets our hearts on a horizon that is far beyond the horizons of this world, God. He gives us a fixed point in heaven from which, God, we take our bearings in this life and in this world. And as we do that, God, we pray that we would surrender everything, all that we are, all that we have to you, God, and allow you to come and to fill us and to use us as you see fit. Father, as we do that, we trust you to build a firm foundation for our life, an unshakable foundation, God, for our life in this world, based upon your love, based upon your grace, based upon Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks for these things. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing our final song together.